Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day there and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week, we're going to have a look at whether the Reserve Bank has finished raising interest rates. At its September meeting, the Reserve Bank left the cash rate on hold for the third meeting in a row at 4.1%. The pause, if you call it that, in interest rates over the last three months comes after the biggest interest rate hiking cycle of 400 basis points, or 4%, over 14 months since the late 1980s, while the 1988 89 rate hiking cycle was nearly double that seen since May last year. Back then, of course, household debt to income ratios were about one third of current levels. And of course, we all know that tightening cycle at the end of the 1980s led to the recession of the early 1990s. Of course, the rise in interest rates over the period since May last year has taken the cash rate to levels last seen in 2012, and of course, taken mortgage rates back to a similar level. In leaving the cash rate on hold, the Reserve Bank reiterated that interest rates have already been increased by 4 percentage points or 4%. Higher rates are working to establish a more sustainable balance between supply and demand, and uncertainty remains high and staying on hold provides further time to assess the outlook. The Reserve Bank also noted, once again, that recent data is consistent with inflation returning to target in late 2025. So I guess the big question is, have we reached the peak in the cash rate and what does this mean for the broader economy? So let's look at the case for the peak in cash rates. I will be the first to admit that we were way too optimistic as to how far the Reserve Bank would raise the cash rate, but our view remains that the RBA has done more than enough to bring inflation back to target and so we are likely at the peak. There's three points to note in relation to all of this. Firstly, rate hikes impact the economy with a lag of a year or more. This is because it takes a while for the hikes to be passed through to borrowers and for them to adjust their spending and for this to impact companies and jobs. This time around, the lag has likely been lengthened by savings buffers built up in the pandemic, the reopening boost to spending, particularly through last year as we came out of the lockdowns and restrictions, more than normal home borrowers locking in at 2% or so fixed mortgage rates in the pandemic and the highly competitive mortgage market, which has meant that actual mortgage rates paid on outstanding mortgages have gone up by less than the cash rate itself. However, these protections are now starting to wear off. It's also worth noting, in particular, that the rate hikes since April last year mean that a variable rate borrower with a $600,000 mortgage will have seen around $1,300 a month added to their mortgage payments. That's an extra $15,700 a year. Even if the borrower has managed to get a 0.5% discount to their mortgage rate, it would amount to an extra $13,300 a year. Many of those on fixed rates are now starting to experience an even bigger increase because, of course, if you think back to 2021, fixed mortgage rates had fallen far lower than variable rates. And so, of course, they've increased by more. As a result, those who are transitioning from those very low fixed rates to either higher fixed rates or higher variable rates are seeing a much bigger jump in their mortgage payments than those on variable rates. This has already seen housing debt interest payments as a share of household disposable income double from their lows 18 months or so ago. Once the rate hikes fully flow through, 
it will likely go to a record. This is a very big hit to household spending power. And I should put that in context. If you go back a year or so ago, typical Australian household on average, and I'm talking here about an average Australian household, that includes all people, so it's spread across all households, they would have been paying something like 3% of their disposable income to service their mortgage. Now, of course, that's gone up in excess of 6%. And of course, if interest rates stay where they are and as the pass-through continues, and that will push up to around record highs, around 8 or nearly 9% of household disposable income. So that's a massive jump in the amount of money that people have to allocate towards servicing their mortgage. Of course, this is concentrated in households, obviously, that have a mortgage, but I would hazard a guess that this will more than offset the boost to those households which are just relying on bank deposits. So quite a big hit to household disposable income and hence spending power. Secondly, we are now seeing increasing evidence that rate hikes are biting. Real retail sales have fallen for three quarters in a row and are very weak on a per capita basis. In other words, after adjusting for population growth. It's all very well to say, well, maybe things aren't that bad. The economy is still growing. But just bear in mind that population growth is around 2.5% or more. And if you adjust for that, then the economy is actually going backwards. And that's particularly the case for retail sale. Another point to note is that the Australian Bureau of Statistics household spending indicator, which is a new indicator they put together based on bank credit card and debit card transaction, suggests that annual growth in nominal consumer spending has actually gone negative this quarter, which suggests weakness in both goods and services spending. We've also seen, of course, a sharp slump in building approvals, which points to weak home building activity ahead. Business investment plans, as surveyed by the ABS for the current financial year, are only up 7% on the same estimate made for the last financial year, pointing to a deceleration in growth from the near 16% rise in business investments seen in 2022-2023. This, of course, is in nominal terms, so the slowdown after allowing for inflation will be even greater. On top of this, we've seen GDP growth in the last two quarters, for which we have data for, that's the March quarter and the June quarter, slow to a 1.6% pace in annualised terms, which is well down from the very strong growth we were seeing a while ago. Labor market indicators, including job vacancies and hiring plans in surveys, have started to cool, and unemployment looks to have bottomed at 3.4% late last year. And finally, the June half profit reporting season saw less companies than normal report profits being up on a year ago and far less than normal companies actually raising their dividends, suggesting a degree of corporate caution. And the final point I would note is that while our inflation indicator for Australia has picked up a bit in recent months with higher labour and raw material costs, it continues to point to a further rapid fall in inflation ahead. Against this backdrop, continuing to raise interest rates will, I think, only add to the already very high risk at around 50% of recession. At the very least, the economy is likely to have slowed substantially by late this year, with unemployment starting to rise faster than the Reserve Bank is allowing for. This will likely see inflation fall next year faster than the Reserve Bank expects. As a result, our base case is that the cash rate has peaked ahead of rate cuts starting in the March quarter next year, which should help growth then stabilise and improve from later next year. So what are the short-term risks? And I would have to say that they are on the upside. In the short term, we think the risks are skewed 
to a further increase in interest rates or a delay in the start of rate cuts as inflation is still too high, as we all know. The labour market remains very tight with upwards risks to wages growth flowing from the higher minimum and award wage rises seen this year. Productivity growth is very weak, which of course adds to unit labour cost growth when wage growth is strong. And the rebound in house prices that we've seen this year is partly offsetting the tightening impact of higher interest rates because you're getting a positive wealth effect whereby people feel wealthier and therefore they might spend a bit more. Consistent with this, the Reserve Bank has retained its guidance that some further rate hikes may be required. Key to watch on this front will be what happens in terms of the global economy, data on household spending, inflation and the labour market. While the near-term risks for interest rates are still on the upside, those risks have declined though. Absent much stronger wages growth, a further drop in unemployment and or a reversal of the downtrend in inflation, the RBA on our view, is expected to leave interest rates on hold for the rest of this year ahead of rate cuts next year. We are allowing for four rate cuts through 2024 as the economy and inflation slow further. So against that backdrop, soon-to-be Governor Michelle Bullock should get in a much easier run than Governor Lowe did in terms of what she will have to do on interest rates. Her main challenge may well turn out to be trying to turn the economy back up again after it slows down with obviously a risk that it might slide into recession. I hope that's been of value. Until next time, adios. To keep up to date with Dr Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming